0: Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Black Friday, shopping day in the States. Black Friday! Baby, don't burn the wall. Black Friday! So here's something to get your Black Friday off to a great start. The Duff McKagan Joke of the Week. Hey, Chris Jericho,
1: it's Duff McKagan calling you. I'm in uh, beautiful Hong Kong, overlooking the harbor right now. We're playing a couple shows here. And, uh, you know, uh, getting ready for the, the tour, you know, I came for the last six months, I came downstairs and told my, my family I was going for a jog, and then I never did it. It's a running joke. Thank you. Goodbye.
0: Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan delivering the laughs or close to it every single Friday like he said over in Hong Kong right now he's calling all the way from across the globe to give you your uh, Duff joke of the week something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving week thankful for Duff who never lets us down and something I'm thankful for is a great childhood filled with lots of cool memories uh, lots of heroes including Steve Harris from Iron Maiden who is on Talk is Jericho on Wednesday and today, one of my all-time childhood teenage uh, influences and heroes in the ring, talking about Ricky the Dragon Steam. But I grew up loving him. I'm thankful that he came on the first annual Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea uh, to do a live podcast with me on the ship. Live talk is Jericho. I waited five years, over 500 episodes, and I think December 13th is the five-year anniversary of Talk is Jericho. Ricky Steamboat was at the top of the list. For those five years And I finally was able To track him down Book him on the Jericho cruise And do a live talk As Jericho In front of all of you At the Stardust Theater In front of a packed house A great great time And an awesome conversation We talked about everything Ricky takes his time Telling stories But there's always a point He's a great guest um, A meticulous storyteller Like I said And I think Towards the end of it He didn't want to He didn't want to leave He wanted to keep going And going and going (laughs) But we did talk About everything uh, When he worked In the Carolinas For Jim Crockett wrestling Ric Flair, one of his favorite rivals, Ricky's championship television matches with Tully Blanchard, and the strange rule that they used to use back then, which is very interesting to me, Uh, what happened when Dusty Rose came to the territory, the heat that existed between them, Ricky's jump to the WWE, why he went, what Vince McMahon told him when he left, the WrestleMania uh, Legends match of 2009, where he worked with me, and of course, one of the greatest matches ever, if not the greatest WrestleMania match of the uh, uh, 80s age, I guess you'd say, of the expansion era talking about ricky steamboat versus macho man randy savage at wrestlemania 3 a personal favorite i got to ask him all the questions i always wanted to know live in front of all of you on chris jericho's rock and wrestling ranger at sea so here you go recorded live from the high seas it's ricky the dragon steamboat the legend Listen, I want to get right into it. One of my uh, inspirations as a performer and a really great guy. I've been waiting for five years to have this man on my show uh, to talk to him. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat.
1: You're really testing me, aren't you? <laughs> climbing these stairs. Come on, kid. <laughs>
0: you can do it. <laughs> Loose ropes, too. Wow. The Dragon. He's here. Yeah, so like I said, um, Talk is Jericho is just had its fifth year anniversary, and I've been waiting to talk to to you, Ricky, and um, it's so cool for me because when I was a kid, I had three, like I said, inspirations as as a a fan, and then when I got into the business, and it was was yourself, it was Owen Hart, it was Shawn Michaels, and I always really enjoyed the style that you had, uh, your... Your 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 ring performance and all that stuff, and I even came and saw you in Winnipeg in 1987 at the World of Wheels. <laughs> there was this it was this um, uh, autograph signing where there's a bunch of cars around and you could wait in line to meet. Uh, every year they'd send somebody from the WWF, and the one year it was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Did you used to do a lot of those?
1: It was was that uh, you got a picture of you and I in your book?
0: Yes, and I waited uh, um, in line for about an hour. And all I was thinking is, what can I ask him? I have to ask him a question. What can I say? What can I do to impress him? What can I say? And when I got up to the front, I said, how tall are you? Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, took a picture with you. I had a big wad of gum in my mouth. And you were answering my question and blinking when my friend took the picture. Your eyes are closed and my mouth is wide open with a giant wad of gum.
1: in <laughs> You know, in your book, I was wondering, why would you put that shot in? I guess that's the only shot he had, because I'm like this. <laughs> he's like this. <laughs> he's, he's got the prop gun. And I said, and okay, that's the only
0: shot he had. Well, back in those days, you, you didn't have a cell phone to look at it. You just yeah. took the picture that you got, and that was All it. Right. Did you guys used to do a lot of those type of appearances? Because your road schedule was nuts back in that time frame.
1: Yeah. Not a lot, you know, maybe two or three a year You know, because you guys what was your schedule back back then when you were working with Vince A lot of ta- times as you would understand this it would depend on uh, Where you were in the pecking order? How strong of a main event guy were you and then you had some main event guys that maybe were just like backup But if you were headlining the last match every night you were working and it could go at least twelve to fourteen days straight and then go home for a day or two most times it was twenty one days three straight weeks on the road and then go home for a day or two mm-hmm. and then you are back out again for another two or two or three weeks you know so
0: but it's not like it was like maybe it was but now it's a loop you'll do for example Tampa and then you'll drive to you know Fort Lauderdale and right. then you drive to you know Orlando but in those days it was more of kind of crossing back and well, forth well
1: you know uh, once again it depended on what part of the country you could go to LA okay and you could wrestle you know go to San Diego you know go to uh, uh, Anaheim and then wrestle in LA mm-hmm. and then so you're there for three shows which you know when I first went from driving every night and working in the mid-atlantic region and the carolinas and then florida and georgia and and minneapolis those were the territories i worked and then when i went to the ww when it was the wwf at that time and sat down with vince and he was telling me you know his big plan and what he was going to do and And I left, why, oh my God, we're going to be flying to every one of these cities, you know, this is going to be so cool, we're going to fly, you know, but I'll tell you what, there's nothing like if back in the old territory days where you would, you know, drive 100, 150, 200 miles, maybe longer, work that night, and then drive, and you're back home. This schedule was, even though you're flying and you're at these major cities every day, but you're... You're puddle jumping from, you can be in Chicago one night and then you're down in Miami the next and then you're over in Houston, then you go up to Oklahoma and then you go over to, you know, Philadelphia and then maybe all the way back across LA and then that's the way it was. And different time zones, jet lag. Sometimes you wake up and you look down the hallway of the hotel and you wonder where you're at. And I'd have to go over there by the phone in the room and say, oh, I'm in Oklahoma. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I've had but, the, but there are situations in LA and and then after you finish with that and run, maybe you, you go up to Frisco and there'd be, you know, two or three shows in around Frisco and you'd finish up in Frisco and then fly out. You know, so there there worse. But I would have to say the bulk of the time, you're just going from city to city to city to city. So you, they got you on the early flight because they want to make sure that if you don't make your, the early flight, they got backups, right? So you're on a eight o'clock flight, seven thirty. So that means you're you're up at five thirty. You got to be there an hour before the plane leaves, right? To check in. And you understand you just got finished wrestling that night. And if you're on last, you're getting out of the building after eleven. And then with me, you know, you got that adrenaline rush and that pump. And by the time you drive back to the hotel and finally lay yourself down, it may be like one o'clock. And then you realize you got a six. 6 o'clock wake up.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, and that's the hardest part. People that, don't realize yeah, that. Yeah, and man. then
1: you catch your plane, you fly, and you fly to the next city. You, you do the same routine. As soon as you get off, you go get your rent-a-car. You go check in at the hotel. If you got enough time in the afternoon, maybe you're going to try and find a gym to work out. I, that was that was a Ricky thing, try and find a gym to work out. The other, some guys would just go to the hotel room and crash. Yeah. And then you got to be at the show, you know, at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock and then you just do the routine day in and day out over and over again you
0: know when you first came in to 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 meet with vince um and like you said he was kind of taking over the whole wrestling world what 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 was his plan for you what did he say to you what did he want to do
1: going back going back you know 85 um but i mean like i i remember you know when um I don't know if you want to back up on the story because I was I was like the main event babyface in the Carolinas, right. and then why did I leave there? You were a big star in that, in yeah, that time I was frame, main event. but that's,
0: well, that's what I mean. Like you said, you're in the Carolinas, right? Yeah. You're doing really good. So what was it that made you want to go talk to Vince in the first place, and why did you go to the WWF when you were doing so well in the Carolinas? Yeah.
1: Okay, let's go back to 1977 when I first when I first went into Carolinas and Ric Flair saw me. And went to George Scott, who was the booker, and said, I want to do something with this new Steamboat kid that you've just had come in. Um, this was March of 77, and I had been working actively for about a year and three months. When Flair went to bat, went to George Scott, the booker, went to Jimmy Crockett, the promoter, and said, hey, I'd like to try something with Steamboat. The guys knocking on Flair's door, because Flair was the number one heel, top heel in the Carolinas in the Mid-Atlantic region, were guys like, I don't know if you understand, Wahoo McDaniels, any? Blackjack Mulligan, you know? Uh, Paul Jones, does that bring anybody? Um, number one, yeah. Um, so you had some seasoned veterans with already a proven track record, main event guys, and... Flair was insistent on working with me. I was the new kid that just came into the territory. Um, we did an ang- I came in in March. We did an angle in June, and we were off and running. And so from that point on, uh, being a main event guy until 85, fast forward to 85, George had just left being the booker. Dusty had come in. Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes being a babyface. Dusty Rhodes being the new Booker, and the expression that we use in the business, everybody, was that he was the man with the pencil. Do you understand that phrase, the man with the pencil? He's the Booker. He's the matchmaker, right? He's coming up with ideas, and he's going to put this baby face with this heel and so forth down the line, and come up with angles on TV to spice things up. And I was like the number one baby face, and the Carolinas, and here comes Dusty the Booker, the man with the pencil, as a baby face. You see where I'm going with this? So, Dusty put me with Tully Blanchard, and Tully Blanchard, from the Blanchard family, right? Um, good worker, good, good psychology, work his ass off in the ring, and he became the television champion. I don't know if any of you understand we had a television champion back then, and what would that mean if you're a tv champion all right our matches on in mid-atlantic on television were 10 minutes matches that was a time limit 10 minutes so if you became a champion and you had the tv belt you're a main event guy but back then every main event match after intermission had a 60 minute time limit right 60 minutes maybe the opening match of the show might be 15 minutes and then the second match might be 20. And then it might get up to uh, the match right before intermission might be 20, 25 minutes. But then every match after the uh, intermission was 60 minutes. So, but you're the TV champion. So what they, when they invented the TV champion and the, the belt, they said, okay, you're a main event guy, you're gonna have 60 minutes in the match, but your belt is on the line for only the first 10. Really, wow! Really, first ten because it was ten minute, ten minute, you know, on television. Yeah, yeah. So you could. Uh, so Blanchard was the was the TV champion, and he hooked me up with him. I was like at that time the number one babyface in the territory, and so I'm wrestling Tully all through the North and South Carolinas and Virginia, and I win the. You know, the match goes 12 minutes. I win. But the following week on TV, Tully shows up with the belt because I beat him after the 10 minutes, right? And the ring announcer is making these announcements. You know, he says, like, one minute left on the championship and so forth and so on. 10 minutes, they expired, but the match just keeps going. So I beat Tully in 12. So everybody knows that i got an angle with Tully on TV, but he keeps showing up every week with the championship. So right. that must say, well, God, you know, damn, you know, Steamboat just can't beat Blanchard because every week he's got the belt. So after I did North and South Carolina and all through Virginia's, which, you know, that took about two or three weeks to do all the major towns. Um, Dusty came up with the idea we're going to extend the time limit to 20 minutes mm. and we get Crockett. Jimmy Crockett, the promoter, to make the announcement on TV as the promoter. He'll get Blanchard up there, and he'll say, Look, Blanchard, I know you've been running from Steamboat. That's why you've been dodging him and expiring the time. Well, guess what? I've just doubled the time. I'm making a new ruling right now that the championship for your belt is for 20 minutes. And, of course, he'd pitch a fit, right? So then here I go back out on the territory, North, South Carolina, Virginia, and I beat Blanchard in 22. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I go home with the win. he goes home with the belt. Get on TV the following week and he said, oh my God, Ricky's had 20 minutes and he still can't beat Blanchard, because look, Blanchard's on, t- right? <laughs> yeah. So then we went to 30 minutes. Beat him in 32. <laughs> so we had a big show, like one of those Starcade shows in Greensboro. Yeah! Greensboro! Dusty, the man with the pencil, Books himself with Tully in Greensboro. Greensboro is like our Madison Square Garden, okay? Books himself with Tully. Um, Time limit is only 10, though. And they have their match, and Dusty beats him in eight.
0: (laughs) You can't beat the man with the pencil. No, you
1: see, you start to learn the politics of the business, right? And you start to see how physicians are starting to get jockeying around and you can see what what's going on so right after that dusty goes to me and he says uh we got this new new kid that's come in and his name is uh, nikita nikita koloff big kid from minnesota he's a he's a russian and uh, i'd like to i'd like to match you up with him so um the next, the next week we're going to do this angle on TV. I was working in the ring with just a mid-grade guy. Get my win, climb out of the ring, start walking down the aisle, and he says, "What I want you to do, and you get about halfway, turn around to all the fans and give it a wave. That'll be the signal for Nikita to come up and nail you from behind, and we'll, we'll create an angle." Well, he had a thing. Nikita had a thing called the Russian sickle, which was a clothesline, and he weighed about 285. He was all gassed up. (laughs) He was green. as green. I mean, very green, very young. And um, you understand the term, you throw a working punch. You throw a working kick. Okay, well, he came flying out, and I got my back to him, and I'm waving at the fans, and he hit me in the back of my neck with that clothesline. Holy shit. I mean, my head felt like it went up into the eighth row somewhere. And I drove home that night after TV in thinking, okay, I know what just happened to me with me and me and Tully. And I kind of see this big Russian and what, uh, what this baby face is going to do around the territory, right? And it hit me. Dusty Rose, the American dream against the Russian,
0: right? <laughs>
1: right? And who's going to get the Russian over
0: to get to Dusty? <laughs> <laughs>
1: see? So the following week, I went to Jim Crock, and I said, you know, Jimmy, I've been here about eight years. I think it's time to give my notice. You know? And um, he said, don't want to see you go, but I understand. Don't want to see you do, you know. So I get the word got out. Steamboat gave his notice, and I get a call from George, who's working for Vince. Hey, How'd you like to come up here? I said, well, you know, I'm really ready for a move, a change. And they flew me up, picked me up in a limo, took me to Vince's house, had a sit-down talk. And getting back to your original question, what did they want to do with me? its They knew my track record. George had booked me for all those years. And he just, you know, it was just like Vince was saying, whatever George feels is right for you, Steamboat, because he knows you, thats that's what we'll do.
0: So, and then in that day and age too, everybody had the the persona, the the almost the cartoon character gimmick. Where did the dragon come from? Was that a Vince idea?
1: That dragon came uh, when they added Ricky the dragon. See, before that, I was just Ricky Steamboat, and then they started the, the uh, when they came out with the dragon outfit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the dragon outfit with the wings and all that. And Vince wanted to add something to Ricky Steamboat. So, in a roundtable discussion. Um uh, George was no longer there, but Pat Patterson was. And me, Pat, and, and Vince just started talking. And I was a big Bruce Lee fan. And he had a movie that had been out shortly or something. It had already been out, but what was it, like The Return of the Dragon or something? Enter the Dragon. Uh, enter the Dragon, right. Yeah. So uh, I was always a big Bruce Lee fan. I took Taekwondo as a kid. I used it in my, in, in my work in the ring. Um, and just round table discussion and bringing up that movie and then the dragon popped up and it just was, you know, God, if you had Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, yeah, the dragon Ricky Steamboat. How about Ricky Steamboat, boom, the dragon. So wherever you put the dragon, it worked and that's how that came up.
0: When uh, there was a time that I remember that you actually had to come to the ring with like a Komodo dragon. Oh my God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let, let, before we get to that, let me say this real quick. <laughs> when I left the Carolinas, I, I was, uh, I was, I was a little upset with 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 the fact that the way I was being used. But you understand the politics of the business and Dusty Rhodes being the new baby face and being wanting to be the top baby face, and he's the man with the pencil. So I was, I always had this little grudge against him, you know. But uh, after I got out of the business, and I'm going, this is many years later, and I'm working at the training school. And training some of the new talent that you see today. Some of the Performance Center in Orlando? Uh, this was the one in Tampa. Tampa, gotcha. Okay. And Dusty was there. And his job was um, teaching guys how to do promos, in which he was very good at, right? And, and, you know, we're going, you know, 25 years later, maybe more. And um, we had a, a meeting office with all the trainers. And Dusty were sitting in this room at the school. And Dusty brought up the fact about what happened back in the Carolinas and the way he phrased it, he said, you know, um, yeah, the way Ricky, the way Steamboat left me, you know, he just, he left me hanging. And uh, so finally when the other guys got up and left at the end of the meeting, I said, Dusty, I'd like to talk to you. And we sat down and um, I just want to tell you something. I didn't leave you. I sort of refreshed his memory of what was, what was going on, but I'm, I've had this disgruntled feeling about you for the last 25, 30 years it Held up in me But I'm here to tell you this And, I, I'm, and that is I want to thank you And he looked at me and said What are you talking about, Steamboat? <laughs> and I said, Dusty, I want to thank you Because it, it actually made me make a move From Carolinas to the WWF in which my career just jumped a huge level. It just, boom, jumped. And um, and it was just because, the, and I understand you being the booker and you doing what you have to do. And I'm just here after 30 some years of being having this in my gut. But I've, I wanna come clean with you and being honest with you and just, just say thank you for doing that. Because if I would have stayed it, all those things that happened afterwards might have never happened. Right, right.
0: Yeah. And you wouldn't have had to come to the ring with the Komodo dragon.
1: <laughs> Getting back to that, that's what they wanted to create an angle with me and Jake Roberts. And he had the... Jake Jake Roberts, great... Great psychologist in the ring. Boy, did he have a mind on on what to do in the ring. Great, And he, of course, you know, he had Jake the snake and the snake, right? So... Ricky the dragon, and they said, God, you got to have a dragon. So they got a hold of the hand... Give me a dragon, and, damn it. Yeah. Hey, Ricky, you don't mind um, carrying a um, um, monitor lizard into the, into the ring? <laughs> no, boss. Uh, no, I, you know, um, you know, at that time they had Coco Would Beware and the bird, right? The British Bulldogs with uh, Matilda, <laughs> you know, uh, Hillbilly Jim and his pig. Um, uh, I mean you walked in the locker room it smelled like a damn barn <laughs> you know you got the dog barking around running around over here the birds up in his cage over here just
0: and um, Iron Sheik blowing pot smoke in their face trying to get him high <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah Iron Sheik I got, a, I got a real quick, real story for you here. Uh, Jake would always bring his snake in, and he would take it uh, to the showers. And some, some buildings, you'd have that, you know, big gang showers, like, you know, like in high school, college, those big gang showers. Some would be individual stalls. And we're at this one venue, and it's those individual fiberglass stalls, and he puts a snake in there, and he turns on uh, the lukewarm water, and it just lays there, and it's bathing in this, in this lukewarm water. It's loving it. Well, the snake starts going up the side of the fiberglass stall, and he's rubbing against the hot knob, the knob, and as he's going up, he's turning the water on hotter, 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 and we're all sitting in the locker room, and all of a sudden, we hear this, boom, 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 and what the hell? we know it's coming from the bathroom area, the shower area, what the hell is that, and all of a sudden, this 12 foot boa constrictor looking thing, I'm running out into the middle of the locker room. <laughs> now, can you imagine that? I mean, that sucker is that big around. Can you imagine you got 20 guys sitting in there? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It... I mean, I saw 30 year old veterans move, you know, do a 4340, you know, good. <laughs>
0: NetCredit is here to say yes because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at
1: netcredit.com/partners. NetCredit: Credit to the people.
0: Let's talk about, um, in my opinion, it's the greatest match of that era to me. Of course, I'm talking about WrestleMania three. Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Macho Man Savage. And by the way, when I was a kid, my friend and I could act out that entire match. And we didn't know what a false finish. We called them two counts. There's like 23 two counts in that match. Yeah, But I mean, talk about that and uh, the whole concept behind it, how you did the match and um, why it was so great. Well, you
1: know, in December of uh, 86, they, uh, we did the angle to which Savage came off the top rope with the bell. Classic. Right and um, it was Randy's idea, and um, I trusted him. Uh, when it came time to actually do it, we didn't do any dress rehearsals or anything. We just had our match on TV, and then, you know, I'm down, and he goes gets the bell, but we never took into account that there was a probably about a foot and a half by foot and a half piece of plywood that the bell was bolted to, you know, right, yeah. But I'm telling you, when you jumped off the top rope and landed on my throat, I mean, it looked like he crushed me, but it was... It, the term that we used in the business, it, it was a little stiff, but it, it, I'm okay. But the way we did the rest with the gurney coming out and taking me backstage and all that... Um, you sold it so well. It, well. it was unbelievable. Yeah. That's what got it over was just the, the way that you sold that. So, um, and thanks. <laughs> so... Uh, Boy, he was getting a ton, he was getting a ton of hate mail to the office. It was coming in from all over the country, so we knew it got over, you know. And then I had to go through the uh, speech therapy. And I cringe when I go back and look at that. I looked at myself trying to pretend that I'm trying to get my voice back. and.
0: I, I forgot about that. You had vignettes where they had to send Steamboat to speech therapy to learn yeah. how to talk again. Yes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> we gotta YouTube that, guys. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh God, if you. T-
1: I can talk and, <laughs> <laughs> and then a week would go by, and they'd do it again, and I'd get a little better, and then get a little better, and get. So the whole thing was was I w- was able to um, talk, um, be able to get back in the ring and work. And it was all geared towards Wrestlemania 3. And um, and so I went to Vince and I said, uh, you know, we got about a month before the show, so uh, we get hooked up with Randy and, uh, you know, have some tune-up matches. Right? Uh, Dragon, uh, you're going to make your debut at uh, Wrestlemania 3. You two guys are not going to touch. The only thing I'm going to have you do is at every show that Randy is at, just before the, his match starts, I'm going to have you walk out to the ring and just point at him, put up number three, and go like, you and me, WrestleMania three. So I said, no tune-up matches or nothing. And nope. You don't understand what a tune-up match is, when you're getting ready for a big show? Okay. So I went to Savage, I said, and I told him, and I said, we got to, you know, we got to do something here. We got to maybe put something together. we I have never, ever even hooked up with the guy. Really? Never. The first time him and I ever locked up was at WrestleMania 3. Wow. Touched each other. Now, a lot of times you get to work with the guy, you get to know him, you know, mannerisms, you know, how he goes this way or that way, or, you know, you get, you know, his pace, you know, it's timing. Yeah, every yeah. You, you work with a guy and you and you know it because everybody's different, right? Right, Chris. So everybody's di- but I said we got to put something together. We gotta-. and back in those days, after you work with a guy and you're going for a match and you have a couple tune-up things. Most of the times when you have your match, it's it's been laid. out It's called here in the ring, and then you after the match you go back and you go over what you did and. Yeah, that felt good. You hear the crowd response? Yeah, that worked. We'll keep it. Okay, you know, uh, that one spot that we did, God, you could hear a pin drop. You know, no reaction from nobody. Uh, Forget about it. Let's do something else. So we didn't have that, you know, any tune-up matches, so we just went on our gut on how to put this match together. And the first thing that came to our mind was we have an opportunity, we were hearing these numbers coming in, you know, how many tickets were sold at Silverdome, you know, 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, 60,000, oh my God. And then numbers coming in for the pay-per-view buy rate, you know. Uh, Boy, this is going to be the biggest thing ever in the history of our business. And so Savage and I sat out and we wanted to say, well, we have, and I'll give credit where credit is due. You know, we had our two biggest icons in the business, which Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, and they were doing the bulk of the ticket sales. No no question about it. And the buy rate for the pay-per-view. You know, but I'm, I also felt that Savage and I had our part. We had our part. We had our fans. So... We set up, we wanted, to, we wanted to do something different without having any tune-up matches to see if it would work. We wanted to put together some, uh, a different style of match. Um, Randy came up with the idea, of, well, he said, well, Dragon, I think maybe you ought to focus on going after my throat, you know, because uh, what I did to you. And I, I said, you know, Randy, that's sort of atypical of what everybody would think. What do you want to do, Dragon? What do you want to do? I said, I'd like to make it a championship match. What do you mean? you know, the belt's on the line. I said, I'd like our story in the match to show that this is a championship match and that the best way that I could hurt you would be to beat you for it. Here, you did something to me. You said I was never, ever going to return. I make my big comeback. I've had no matches under my belt to see you know how rusty I am, or if I'm in shape. And to be able to beat you for the belt would hurt you more than me going after your throat. I, that's the story I want to tell.
0: Okay, Dragon.
1: So we started putting together, and I think we started putting these false finishes together, and we got eight, nine, 10. And I said, you know, we're only seven minutes into the match, and we've got 10 false finishes laid out. <laughs> yeah you know i said we got to start writing this stuff down i mean so i I got these yellow tablets these legal tabs and we started writing down and the very first thing and i'll tell you did you ever work with randy
0: i never did i never did you know his
1: reputation about being a stickler yes
0: you know very very meticulous with the way he saw things right yeah
1: yeah you know um he was very open with me and I don't know why. I know with some guys in the business, it was either his way or no way type of mentality. But with me, he was very open on suggestions or change this or put this in the front instead of in the back, you know, type of thing. So the first thing. Now we got through about, oh, I'm gonna say, now this is these long yellow tabs and I'm gonna say about two and a half pages of notes And it was numbered, step number one, this, step number two, step number three. Once we got the whole match and all those false finishes in it, we started quizzing each other because I was in the same town with him every night because remember I had to walk out of the ring and point at him and get the fans going, oh, Steamboat, yeah, right? And so after the show, we would meet in the hotel room and start going over our match. And I'd say, okay, Randy, step uh, 65 is this, this, and this. Tell me the rest of the match. <laughs> and he'd go, 66 is this, 67 is this, step set. And we had we had up to like a hundred and some segments to remember. Wow. But I'll tell you this: the first step, guess what the first step was? Thank you.
0: Lock up. Okay.
1: I said, Randy, we don't need to write that down. We're gonna lock up. <laughs> write it down, dragon, write it down. <laughs> Number one, lock up. <laughs> talking about being a stickler get in ring (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know um like chris said we had i know i know the number somewhere around 21 22 false finishes in a match that went less than 17 minutes but the memorize them consecutively whose turn was next if I did two in a row or three and then he did one-two, then maybe we're down to trading one-and-one and, one and then back up to one-two and then trade, trade, you know. But to remember 20-some false finishes consecutively in a row, you know, that's that's what made the match difference was different because of, of that. The story that we're telling is that I'm trying to beat him and he's trying to hold on to his belt. And that's what made the whole thing so different, you know. And then, then he wanted to finish, he said, you know, my finish was the dive off the top. And he said, uh, how are we going to get to where you do your dive? And I said, you know, I said, Randy, and this is honestly the way I felt, Chris. We've had 20-some false finishes. And I think by the time that we get to the one, two, three, the fans are going to, it doesn't matter. I think they're going to blow. They're gonna, uh, we're going to blow the roof. We don't have to do, you know, my dive. I, I'd like to do something that's just out of the blue. You know, so all it was was you picked me up for a slam and I hang, hung on for a small package. Probably the small package is one of the most widely prostituted false finish moves in, in our business, right? Small package, one, two, kick out, yeah. you know? So um, I wanted and to, it, and, and, it, and it is a legitimate wrestling pinfall move, a small package. You can really use it as such. So I wanted to do just something simple, something that the fans would never see it coming. And right. yeah, so I'll never forget. We had the one, two, three, and I'm laying in the ring and Savage is over there and he's going all because all of a sudden for a few seconds, it was a low and then the rush and Savage is laying there and he goes, listen for it, listen for it, <laughs> and then it came, you know. And we never knew, all we wanted to do was have the match of the night and never knew that here we are, oh God, what is it, 30, 31 years later? 31 30 years, years later that uh, you guys still talk about it. Uh, yeah, and I only, I, I, thanks. I, don't, I only wish Randy was here that, to, share the, to share these moments that I've been sharing. I'll tell you something else, hey everybody. I never saw that match. I mean, actually sit down and watch it on TV until um, in '09 when they brought out my three disc uh, DVD set. Yeah. So that was 87 to 09. How many years is that? 22. How many? 22. So 22 years later, I finally got to see the match. 22 years later. And all that time, I've been wondering, like, what are these people talking about? You know? See, but it's interesting because there's matches
0: that I've had a a really good match, according to people, this year at the Tokyo Dome with Kenny Omega. Yeah. And it's one of those ones that people say was the best match Jericho's ever had. I haven't watched it back. And when I was finished, I went, that was really good. Yeah. It was the best one I've ever had. It's not up to us to really. Yeah. Decide. It's up to them. And if if you guys believe, that I said, for me that was the match. It was my favorite match I've ever seen until Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker at WrestleMania in two thousand. I agree. You know. Yeah. So that stood the test of time to this day.
1: Yeah. I mean, how many WrestleMania matches did they have? Yeah. You know, hundreds since
0: then. Uh, yeah. You know, so du- yeah. You know? Yeah. did did you get the feedback at the time? Uh, did you come through the curtain and and, and get a, a boys clapping for you, or were fans writing you letters telling you, or was it just another day at the office?
1: Honestly, when I uh, I came back into the locker room, I was... Uh, I collapsed uh, on the floor in the locker room. I was just... Really? Yeah, it was... I think nerves played a part because throughout that day, I'm going through my head, step number one, lock up, step number two, headlock. Right. step number three, tackle, drop, you know, tackle cover, tackle cover, boom, you know, and I'm going and it plays on you you know the stress of trying to remember and i'll never forget also when i was laying in the ring and looking up at the silver dome and my exact words were this when i was looking up land I i go it is done <laughs> yeah. so you know i was never accustomed to choreographing a match like you yeah. back then you'd maybe had the finish put together which might be two minutes of the match you know and you're out there for 30 40 minutes with guys or 60 minutes with flair and you come up last couple minutes of the finish and so the other time you're just winging it but this match every single step was was planned out not knowing if it was going to work or what
0: You mentioned uh, your other most famous opponent of Ric Flair. Yeah. And the classic matches that you guys had. Yeah. Uh, but a completely... I remember I asked you one time, who, who did you like working better, Savage or Flair? And you said, well, with Savage, everything was mapped out. Mm-hmm. With Flair, nothing was mapped out. So you tell me who I enjoyed it more. It seemed that you enjoyed just kind of being on the fly. I,
1: you know, the Savage match... Uh, at that time, we got, to answer, help answer your question back, That's was true. we we got so many accolades and pat on the backs and back then, you know, the wrestling magazines. And, and it was always because, only because of the way it was designed with all those false finishes and keeping people on the edge of their seat through the whole match because they didn't know who was going to actually become the winner. I'll tell you another a real quick thing about that Um uh, George Steele was my second, right? And he had a little thing going on with Elizabeth, right? You know, he was, yeah, he was... He had a crush on her. He had a crush on her, being polite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're try, trying to figure out how do we sprinkle George in there? and But we really wanted to keep the focus on us. And instead of typically what you would see with a person out on the floor maybe he would reach in and grab the guy's ankle, right? Or reach up and grab his tight or, you know, just little things that, you know, bug you or nuisance, right? And I told Randy, I said, I would like to have George maybe do one or two things in our match, but a pivotal game changer. Instead of him being that gnat that you, you know, throughout the match, you know, just be involved and if you remember when Randy went to get the bell George jumped up and snatched it away from him and as he was taken off on a run Randy came back down and booted him in the head and got the bell back climbed back up and George got back up there and then he shoved Randy off the top you know to me pivotal game changers through for, for the match right and um and George loved the idea uh, god bless him he you know because he came to us and he said what do you guys have me you know we, we what am i doing and i i told him the, the thought process instead of being that nat we did we felt if you did just these couple of things there would be major moments and that's uh, that bad. did you guys ever have a rematch on pay-per-view i don't recall
0: you think that that would be ripe to have like yeah. savage steamboat too yeah No, never, no, no pay-per-view rematch. Probably went around the horn a couple times, but...
1: Yeah. 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 Is there any reason I had the belt for about eight or nine weeks, and then I dropped it to Honky Tonk. Gotcha. You know, you know... You
0: know, uh, you you at this point in time uh, really established the Intercontinental Championship, now being the business, as almost it was the workers' title, Honky Tonk Man That Was Standing. But to have that title... (laughs) To have that title...
1: You know, when you had back then when you had it, you were next in line for the
0: That's what I mean. Yeah, if yeah. You could, and it always drove me nuts as a kid that that there was never a Ricky Steamboat versus Hulk Hogan match. Yeah. Like I thought that would have been so cool, but obviously two babyfaces, but I thought that oh, why, why can't Steamboat face Hogan? Why? But this just wasn't the way that Vince wanted to do it. Um I, you know, might have been politics, right? Yeah. 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 But let's talk a little about working with Flair. Okay, And the chemistry you guys had, some maybe the best matches you've ever had? I don't know, but
1: so on, a cons- on a consistent level, during the eight years that we campaigned in the Carolinas, I, I don't know, hundreds of times that we worked with each other. I don't know how many one-hour broadways. You understand Broadway, guys? You know, that means wrestle 60 minutes to a draw. We would do it night after night and night after night. It, it would sure teach you the business on timing you know what you do when you do it and why you do it um, throughout your match because you know you're going to be out there for an hour and, and you have to hold the audience and how do you do that you know, you know so but when I first came to the Carolina 77 only having a year and three months under my belt and then all of a sudden I'm in working with the top heel Flair took me to school every night and he was right there he was doing this talking to my ear Every, coaching, teaching, me every night. I'll never forget one time. I'm sitting on my ass. He's got a reverse chin lock on me, and he whispers in his ear, and he says, "We're going to do this, this, and this." And I got, and then he goes, "All right, Ricky, you know, start to come up." So after he told me the spot, and he says, "Start to come up," I power right up to my feet. Flair takes that reverse chin lock, and from behind takes my head and puts it down my chin or my chest, and he's leaning on me and squeezing on me, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) And I am being forced back down to my ass. And he goes, when you come up, come up in stages, come up to a point, and then don't just jump right up to your feet. So he told in the locker room afterwards, he says, We're working, right? I've got this hold on you. But you threw away my hold because you just came right on up. He said, come up to a knee, then come up to two knees, and then maybe one leg, and then two legs, and then slowly push your hands off your thighs, and you start to straighten up. Make my hold a hold. And only you can do that, Ricky. you got to make my hold a hold. Because the way you came up, you didn't make my hold worth anything. It was shit, nothing. Make it a hold stuff like that to to teach, you know. We had uh we had worked several one-hour matches to a draw and George Scott came in the locker room We're in Charlotte, one of our big venues, and he says uh, do you mind uh Ricky we get flare over in about 20, 25? I said no, uh, as of, I was happy because we've been going one hours every night. <laughs> I said yeah, and he said uh uh, let he, let Flair heal his way into a win, and let's really you know shock the people that you know he got over, but he cheated. Okay, he got he cheated. So we're out there, and the finish was this. And I'm telling you, this is the honest to God truth. I went over to Flair. He knew what George wanted. I said, "What do you want to do?" He said, "Ricky, make you come back. When you see me, drop to my knees in the corner, and I'm begging you off. Charge me. I'll take your feet from under you. Go to your back." I'll tell Tommy Young, the referee, to get down and count. And when he gets down to count, I'll put my feet up in the second turnbuckle, okay? And I'll jack your legs way up over your face. How long did that take, everybody, for me to describe what the finish was? And we never spoke anymore. That's all we did. I said, okay, see you in the ring. So we have our match. 15 minutes go by, and around the, and at that time, they would tell you time limits. 20 minutes, you know, 40 minutes remaining. And I go, Flair, are we about ready for me to start my comeback? Yeah, not yet. 25, 30 minutes. 30 minutes gone, 30 minutes remaining. I said, hey, Rico, uh, about ready for me to start my comeback? Not yet. True. 35, 4, 45 minutes gone. I said, hey, son of a bitch, we get, we're 45 minutes into this match. We got 15 left. Do you want me to start my comeback? Not yet. Not yet. 50, 10 minutes remaining. 55, 5 minutes remaining. 54, 53. All of a sudden, we get down 58 minutes gone. Two minutes remaining, and I go, Hey, you no good son of a bitch. We got two minutes left. How about now? <laughs> okay, let me set it up, Ricky. So he starts me with a slow comeback. Now we got one minute. He did a couple of heel things with me. Finally he finally moved on. Uh, I moved on something, and I think with about a minute left, 45 seconds, I start rolling in this comeback, and I'm trying to false finish him all over the ring. 30 seconds left, and the announcer's counting. 20 seconds left, 10. He drops to his knees in the corner, and he begs off, which was, you remember? I rush him. He sweeps his feet up, my feet out from under me. He jacks my legs over my face and puts his feet up there in the second turnbuckle. Nine. I said, oh, shit. And I rush him. (laughs) Right. Go through the movement and I could hear him go, Tommy Young, get down and count. Why does a heel who knows he's going to heel his way to a finish tell the referee to get down and count? He's covering the ref. He doesn't want the ref to even come close to seeing him putting his feet up in the corner. That's how good Flair was. Tommy, get down and count. Tommy knew the finish, but he's waiting for Flair for that. So as they're going five, Tommy's going one, four, two, three, three, call for the bell. Two seconds left on the clock. (laughs) Flair rolls off of me and he's laying. I'm laying. I'm on my back. I had my, my legs jacked up over my face and finally I straightened down and in the Charlotte Coliseum, we had that time clock in the center of the building where it used to, uh, where they played basketball. You know, the big clocks with time all the way around, you know? And I look up at it, and it says two seconds left on the clock. Now, there's another moment to which the fans, there was a low. And Flair says, they'll come. And he's laying there next to me. Ricky, they'll come. And all of a sudden, the crowd just went ballistics on Flair. You know, good son, of... and they're throwing shit at him, and that like that. And just before he rolls out out of the ring, he looks over at me. and He says, "We got him, kid." So he rolls out, and he's hunkered down, running back to the locker room while they're throwing bottles at him and cans at him. And now he goes back in the locker room. I get up, and the fans, go, "Hey Ricky, you'll get him next time, right?" Blah, blah blah. You know, they clap for me out of respect and everything. So I make my way back to the locker room. I walk into the little babyface locker room, cut across the back to go to the heel locker room. You know, you do your due diligence with your partner. Thank you very much type of thing, right? George Scott's in there, and he's reading Flair the Riot Act. He said, you know, good son of a... What, do you think you're the booker? What are you doing? I told you guys, go 20 minutes. You got you got two seconds left in the clock. What the frick are you doing? And then he saw me walking, and he goes, you, you, Steve-o, come here, come here. Come here. What the hell you both you guys are working with each other? So what? The, you got Look at the time. I didn't say th- everybody I didn't say a thing to George. I went over to the locker room door, the heel side, opened the door and stood behind the door with it wide open and I looked over at George Scott and I said, "Listen to him George, they're still roaring. They're still roaring." Shut the door, left went to the baby face side. As I was leaving, George looks at me. No, he's actually looking at the back of my head, because I'm walking away from him. Steamboat, I'll get you. Flair, I'll get you. I'll get you guys. He's the man with the pencil. All right. Guess what our returns were? 90 minute time limits. Ha ha ha. You can't beat the man with the pencil. Every major venue in the North and South Carolina, Virginia, Flair and I wrestled 90 minutes to a draw. Hour and a half out there. Wow. Wow. That's actually pretty good revenge, to be honest with you. All right.
0: right, You guys want to go 60? Here you go. You go 90. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, too, about um, WrestleMania uh, 2009, I believe it was, 25. Um, original plan, quick story was I was supposed to work with Mickey Rourke, who was really popular at the time with the wrestler, the movie. Um, he was
1: up for an Oscar nomination. He was nomination. up for an Oscar, yeah. and
0: there's a long story behind that. Basically, the studio didn't want him to do it. He was pulled, and Vince decided to make it Jericho versus the Legends, and the original Legends so, were whose original idea was that? That was Vince's idea. Was
1: it really? Yes. yes. You know, to this, I just found out, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so it was okay. I just.
0: Yeah, it was Vince's idea because we, were, we had already been working towards Mickey Rourke. When that changed, he was thinking it was based around the wrestler guys that were washed up. And he wanted me to go against the legends as the heel. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be Snuka, Piper, and me. And, no, and Greg Valentine.
1: Oh, Greg.
0: That was the first. Oh, really? Yes. And I said to Vince, this is no disrespect to any of these guys, but none of those guys Really, do anything anymore? The, the, the work rate is not what it used to be. How can I have a good match with these guys? He goes, yeah. You're not supposed to have a good match.
1: I know Piper's back and his hips. His hips were you know, gone. Snook at the time was gone, and yeah. Greg is Greg.
0: And it's like, I said to Vince, um, Can we put somebody else in here? And he had three rules. You had to be at two rules. You had to be in WrestleMania one, and you had to be in the Hall of Fame. Those are the rules. You mean? Those, they're your rules. No one knows the rules. <laughs> nope. He has to be in the Hall of Fame, and he has, to be, uh, he has to be a Hall of Famer, and it has to be for WrestleMania 1. Because my original thought was Jerry Lawler. I thought we'd get the king in there. Yeah. He can work. But he was not in WrestleMania 1. And then it hit me once again as a kid, as a young worker. Ricky Steamboat, one of my inspirations yeah. as a worker. I said, can we please get Steamboat? And that's when you know Vince is like, what's an option? Do we even own his name? At the point in time, but, or does he own his name? At the point in time, you're having an issue with your name, and then uh, I remember about two hours later, Hunter came up to me and said, "We're going to put Steamboat in there." How did you hear about that from your end? Because you hadn't worked in years, and you were in the WWE as a as an agent. So how how, how were you approached?
1: I was agent producer, but then I was then a trainer. So I would at the at the training school, I would get in the ring and work with the guys, and I'd get. Some of the young rookies and have 15, 20-minute matches with them, and I was one of the few trainers there that could do hands-on, getting a ring and and shows, yeah. yeah, and and actually work with the guys. So um, I found out at uh, God, I'm thinking I found out at the um, at the school about this Legends match, handicap match, uh, Snooker, and Piper, you know. And I was, I was happy with it. I was, yeah, I was, you know I, can, you know, I know I'm not what I used to be, I said, but I'm okay with what I can do. I think I was 56 years old at the time, and, and I could you know, still get in the ring and work with the guys, but, you know, we're talking about a mania match. you know. It's just, but, uh, I th- yeah, I found that at the school, I, and I was really happy with it. I thought you went to bet for my name. I, I oh to get your name back? No, no. Oh, I right. went to
0: bat to get you in the match. That okay. was me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's. Okay. How, that, and then once they, they said, okay, well, you can have okay. Steamboat, and we have the match. It's it, it's an elimination. Piper's out first, Lucas out second, and then you get in the ring. Yeah. And dude, we tore it up. Fifty six years old. Yeah. yeah. I remember. It's like. If Wayne Gretzky came back to play hockey, he's not what he used to be, but he's still better than most of the guys on the team. <laughs> That's what I said. Ristimbo came back, and what, what, even at 56, was one of the best guys in the company.
1: 2009.
0: It was
1: 2009. Yeah, six, Yeah. 50,
0: he were there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then after that. 57. 57. And then yeah. after that, they started actually, well, we worked
1: a bunch of matches after that. Well, you know how I tell this story, all right? That one match at WrestleMania, Chris, as we were having some tune-up matches—not uh, matches, but uh, practice during WrestleMania week. Remember, we'd we'd meet at one of the where the rings were set up yeah. in in the hotel. Yeah. And Chris, every year at WrestleMania, they
0: have rings set up in the hotels where we stay, where you can go practice your matches. Yeah,
1: some uh, some of the huge banquet rooms they would you know have a have a have a one or two rings set up and then talent would actually schedule ring time uh book it so that they would have that hour or something Mm -hmm. and chris learned early on about when trying to do something with jimmy you know god bless him and and piper you know god bless him that you know he said ricky you're gonna have to do about 80 percent uh of this can you do it i said yeah I, i said i'm i'm good i've been we're training with the kids down at the school, you know, I mean, I can't go like the way I used to go, but I know, you know, I can, We can, you know, I can cover my ass for a while, you know, so he's, he just come up with the idea that, you know, we can get Piper in and make him shine for a moment and then uh, beat him, yeah. eliminate, and then same with uh, Jimmy. Yeah, well, and then you and I can have a mini little match or something, you know, for six minutes or something and, and do that. Now, after that match, that's uh, WrestleMania Sunday. Monday, Monday, I'm sitting uh, in production meeting. Production meeting for Monday Night Raw, right? And uh, all of a sudden, that Monday night, I'm in like in an eight-man tag. Right? That was
0: an awesome match, too. You know? It was you and me, Edge. Uh, I don't remember who was in the match, but I remember the one after WrestleMania. A big show? Big show, but big the crowd show. was going nuts. Yeah
1: you know you had one of the, uh, the Hardys and uh, Ray Mysterio Jeff Ray yeah and me yeah so eight man tag and um, I'll never forget Big Show come up to me he says Ricky I want you to uh, I want to feed you for one of your arm drags <laughs> <laughs> big show no 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 what's a minute you don't think I can do it you know I can get some air up and, you know, and you can get your air. And, you know, I said, no, I want to do it. I want to say I was been arm dragged by Ricky Steamboat. I said, no, show. No. Well, you tell me why. I said, why do you want to take your stature of a man close to 475 to 500 pounds and bring yourself down to our size? You are the giant. And giants don't do our size guy stuff, right? Why, you're the giant. And he said, Oh, okay, yeah, I'm, you know. Yeah. Which
0: is such a great point because he's been so taken for granted over the years yeah. as a giant because he wants to do everything. Yeah. And that,
1: a, a great athlete. Yes. Yeah, he, but he can do 450 off the top. You know what that is? Now, I don't know how the guy on the bottom's gonna feel. <laughs> But yeah.
0: Do, do you remember the match that we had I think it was in Greensboro. It was a it was a house show and we had a match and uh the 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 idea was that I was supposed to go over on you. It was in Greenville. Greenville. I'll t- let me tell the
1: story. So, we had the match at WrestleMania, right? And then I do the 8-man tag Monday night, Tuesday morning, and we're sitting in production for the uh, Smackdown show. Vince is sitting up front with the writers and you know Kevin Dunn and the, the the top guys you know Triple H is there and uh, all of a sudden you hear Vince go uh, hand out the uh, hand out the card for uh, the next pay-per-view which was backlash hand out the card now normally you would go over the show and then after you went through the whole show then you'd spend a few minutes on the next pay-per-view okay cuz this was just basically a rough outline but some strange reason in this production meeting, Vince said, "No, let's go over the pay-per-view backlash first. So, the one writer gets up and he's handing out the the card, to, and I get it and I look at it and I'm okay. So and so is in so and so and so. Okay, so mm. Steamboat versus Jericho. What? <laughs> Nobody told me. I found out that way. Nobody asked. I look up, and Vince is sitting at the table, and he's doing this to me. (laughs) So we do... So we have the match in... uh, Rhode Island, I think, Providence. Backlash, yeah. Yeah, Backlash, yeah. After that, we went overseas. We worked Tokyo, we worked Hawaii. Yeah, we worked, uh, I don't know, three or four times over... over, and then we came back to the States, and now we're getting back to what brought this up. And then we worked throughout the Carolinas, about four shows around throughout the Carolinas. Now, understand this. Backlash, Hawaii, and then um, all through the Carolinas, Chris is going over. You know, my pleasure. All right? Last time we were going to work is in Greenville, South Carolina. And the finish was I make my comeback. Go to shoot him in the corner. He reverses it and shoots me. I jump up in the second turnbuckle and in midair turn back around to come off with a big chop. And he meets me with the code breaker in midair. Covers one two three. Okay. It's a good finish. It's good. good. Forgot about that. You remember all that? Yeah. Come back. Bang bang bang. Go to shoot you in. You reverse shoot me. I jump up in the second and in, in like two strides jump up, spin back around with a big chop off, and you jump up. Boom, code breaker, cover, one, two, three. Now, working in Japan um, and also working in Hawaii and then coming back to the States, we've got about 10 matches under our belt, okay? The very last night, very last time we're gonna hook up ever. Here we go with the same finish, make my comeback, shoot in, reverse, jump up, meet me up, code breaker. Goes to cover, he whispers in my ear. At the same time, the referee is in my ear. As I'm laying there because it's the finish, right? The one, two, three. Steamboat, kick out. Steamboat, kick out. What? One, two, kick out. I kick out. And I sell up. Like, I'm, I'm glad I'm still in character because I would have probably spun to my knees and looked at him saying, what the f*** going on? <laughs> what the hell? We've done it ten times. Kick out? It's your finish. Right? So... I didn't do that. I stayed in character, and as I'm start to come up, he walks over to he comes over to me, and he picks me up, and he gets me in that slam position, and he goes, "You and Savage finish uh, WrestleMania three, right?" Picks me up. You and Savage finish WrestleMania three, right here. The finish is Savage has me this way to slam. I come I come down and hook him, and we end up in that small package, right? I'm supposed to remember the finish. 30 years, later. <laughs> 30 years later in a matter of a half a second. <laughs> you and Savage finished WrestleMania
0: 3. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. No, the reason why I said that is I couldn't remember the word small package. <laughs> Dude, in my mind, I was like, what's it called? The Savage finished WrestleMania 3. So that's why I said that. I wasn't trying to be a fanboy. I just couldn't remember how to say
1: small package. Uh, and I, yeah, Ricky, remember it. 30-some years later, I'm supposed to remember this thing, right? <laughs> what the heck? Well, <laughs> Gee whiz. Maybe and not that, 30. It was 20-some years. But anyway, oh, I, on the way down, it brain light bulb clicked on, and I hooked the inside leg and rolled into a one, two, three. In other words, this guy on our last night that we ever worked change the finish, and put me over. Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson
0: was our agent, and I go to the back and go, you stupid son of a bitch. You can't even win when we try and make you win. What's wrong with you? You got to get those wins when you can, boy. It was the right thing to do, man. They're they're giving us the wrap-up signal. I could talk to you all day. Ricky, I'm going to ask you one last question. Uh, Out of all the great matches you had, which one stands out to you as, as your
1: favorite? Is there one? You know, I'm going to have to say this. You know, we've I've had the WrestleManias and um, Saturday Night main event stuff with Jake Roberts. You know, good stuff with Don Morocco. Um, let me let me say this too. One of my also favorite, one of my top five. Now, throughout my career, I've had over five thousand matches, and one of my top five is. Um, one with Rick Rude. Uh, I was with WCW. It was the Bash at the Beast, the 30-minute um, Iron Man, right? But what I really liked about that match was the way the story was told. It's 30 minutes, and it's the guy with the most falls within the 30 minutes is the winner. And the way we told that story was, um, I think there's about 10 minutes left, and I'm down four to one rude has had four falls on me i got one and there's like eight nine ten minutes left and the story that we tell leading up to all of a sudden it's four two four three and then with like 30 seconds left it's four four and with 15 seconds left or something like that then i get a quickie on him, and i end up winning five four but it's just it's a very delicious way of how we were able to tell that story. And I was, like, fighting from underneath, the underdog, but able at the last, you know, last 15, step able to put... That's one of my favorite matches, only because of the way we could tell that story, for everybody to see the way this thing was developing, you know. So, and But my favorite, of all time favorites, wow. I'm going to have to say... Um, Because it was a timing issue and everything. It is that one night that Flair and I were supposed to go 20 minutes, and we ended up going 59, 59, 59-57. And and all the, you understand the timing's got to be on his part. You know, back then the heels called the matches, right? If you understand that, heels called matches, you know. um, Probably only because of the timing involved and being able to pull it off. And then... uh, Get the reaction from the crowd, you know. Uh. Well, it's been great
0: talking to Ricky. Like I said we have to do more of this again. But what a great honor! One of the greatest of all time, right here, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Thank you, thank you, Chris. Thanks to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, I had a blast on the cruise doing it live with him in front of all of you. And he's got some new shirts at his Pro Wrestling Tees store just in time for Black Friday. Check it out now. And he's making appearances if you want to meet him in person and take a picture or get something signed Follow him on Twitter to see where he'll be next. He's at real underscore steamboat. That's real underscore steamboat. Like I said, go to Pro Wrestling Tees uh, just in time for Black Friday to check out his store. Pick something up there. And don't forget about my exclusive uh, 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 available now for a limited time over at represent.com slash faces of Jericho. You can see all the faces of Jericho. And this shirt is uh, uh, Proceeds. From the from the profits of this shirt are going to support jDRF which is uh, fighting type 1 diabetes go to represent.com slash faces of Jericho and check out one of the coolest shirts I think that uh, I've ever designed uh, you can go on Instagram at Chris Jericho Fozzie and check out what it looks like but remember it's only uh, available for two weeks so go to represent.com slash faces of Jericho now and Fozzie having a killer time in Canada, rocking with all of our Canadian friends. We had a great show at Casino New Brunswick on Wednesday night. And tonight, Friday the 23rd, continuing on in the Maritimes at the Cunard Center in Halifax. 24th tomorrow, Quebec City at Video Videotron. And the 25th, Montreal at MTELUS uh, with Three Days Grace. Come check it out. And then we go on our own headlining tour. November 26th, Ottawa at the John Street. Sold out. Uh, London, Ontario at the London Music Hall on the 27th. 28th, Toronto at the Rockpile. 30th, Thunder Bay at Crocs. December 1st, Winnipeg at the Burton Cummings Theatre. That's a huge gig for us. Uh, December 2nd, Regina at the Exchange. That is sold out. Uh, December 3rd, Edmonton at the Starlight Room. And the last show of the entire Judas Rising Tour. Calgary at the Gateway, December 4th. Go to FozzyRock.com for all ticket information, all VIP information. Uh, don't forget, we have a, a, a private concert just for the vips take pictures sign whatever you want it's one of the greatest vips and one of the best uh value you get free money in all of rock and roll fozzyrock.com has all the details on how to make that happen so have a great weekend and uh, we'll see you on wednesday with the symphonic terror of accept that's right guitarist and founder wolf hoffman and uh vocalist uh mark Tornio are with us all the way from hungary a great, great conversation talking about Accept, one of the greatest heavy metal bands of all time, including their new symphony album that they did at Bakken. The Sym- Symphonic Terror of Accept will be here on Wednesday. So until then, have a great time all the time.
1: Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. You know, real quick, everybody, thank you. I've always had a saying, and that is um, a carpenter is only good as the tools he's got to work with. Right? You understand that? And when I was coming up through the ranks and and then became a seasoned veteran, um, throughout all my years and night after night, I was always in the ring with a top, top heel, top talent. And when I first started in the business, I always looked across the ring, you know, at a 15, 20-year journeyman that had already been there, done it, and maybe not a main event guy anymore, but then he was teaching me and taking me to school every night. And it was only because of uh, being in with great talent, great heels, made Ricky Steamboat the babyface, you know, and the way they taught me. If I didn't do what they were going to ask, I was going to get a bloody nose and a fat lip. And <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but uh, I, I, I tip my hat to the guys that I were in the ring with. And you know the names. You know, they're all great heels, all great workers. And um, it sure did make... Uh, what I was able to do—I'm not going to say easy—but it made it certainly worthwhile to to. My goal every night was to have the match of the night, and uh, you know, I set high, set the high bar, and I set high standards. But it was—I uh, wouldn't change a thing when looking back. You know, I had some political decisions that I made that were wrong, but at the time I felt were right, and. Uh, I got a good life now and I got good people like you that come out and see us, you know. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, a year, a year in, uh, what about it? a year in, I don't know, uh, a year and 10 days ago, I got, I got married to a wonderful girl from Tennessee. So she's a, she's a big volunteer fan, Tennessee volunteers, college never watched a second of college football until I met her three years ago, and now I, I can't, I got to watch college football now, and I, be, I became a volunteer fan, you know, so. But anyway, thanks, everybody, for coming out, and, uh, you know, give it, give it up for this guy here of uh, what he's been able to put together for you. You know, what, he, what he's been able to put together for you on this, uh, on, this, on this cruise with the theme, you know, rock and roll and wrestling, right? They, they sort of go hand in hand. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thank
0: you so much.